Hi, I'm Dr. Don Welch, licensed marriage and family therapist, and welcome to the My Therapist Says podcast, where I moderate discussions between various relationship experts from medical doctors to licensed mental health professionals to enrich relationship skills and communication. This podcast seeks to bring healing and hope to what matters most in our lives, our relationships. If you would like even more content or to speak with a therapist, you can visit us at www.enrichingrelationships.org. Thank you and enjoy. Well, good evening to each and every one of you. Thank you for coming out on this evening. And uh, some of you I've talked to you thinking, well, we're coming to a very exciting topic, depression. I mean, <laughs> how exciting is that? My name is uh, Pastor Don Welch. I'm the counseling uh, pastor here at Skyline, and we welcome you. This is a very, very challenging topic. Most of us as therapists know that depression, some form of depression, it could be dysthymia, which is a very low level over two-year period at least, and then it extends on, or major depressive disorder, sometimes anxiety and other things create depression. There's just an array of ways in which we can talk about and discuss depression. Probably someone within your sphere of influence or touch is experiencing or has experiencing some sort of maybe even seasonal uh, depression. Maybe you have. And tonight as we work together, again, this is going on, I think, almost 40 sessions we've done. All of these sessions have been archived. You can go directly to our website at skylinechurch.org and go to the counseling area and you will be able to listen to every presentation we have done for the last going on four years, a little over three years now, but going on four, on various topics, including PowerPoint, plus sometimes handouts. Um, and especially important is we have these very professional individuals who join us, uh, my colleagues here with me this evening. So thank you for being here tonight. Just want to mention, just real quickly as we get started, is that if you have a three by five card, would you hold that up real quickly? I just want to remind you that if you have a question tonight, this event is driven by your questions. So we look forward to reading your questions. I will read them. Hopefully, I will get to most, if not all of them. And we will respond to them just like having a therapist in your living room. That's the idea of this. And then at some point, if you would like to personally dialogue with the therapist and with me, all you have to do is raise your hand without the card. <laughs> if you raise your hand, one of our hosts will bring by a microphone that you can talk directly. Just remember that these are being uh, audio taped. So if you're using names, it might be best to leave that out. Um, if, you're le if you're using a full name, that is, it might be best. But we certainly welcome uh, you tonight uh, to this event. I just want to say one other thing before I have a word of prayer. And we introduce our therapist, and you may be seeing their biographies, their, their backgrounds uh, listed that you might have been taking a time to read and, and to look at as I give a brief introduction in just a moment. But when we think about depression, I just want to mention that this is a very important topic, particularly in the Christian world. I'm both an ordained minister and a psychotherapist, and I, I've seen this both from the pastoral role as well as a professional therapist, and that is we sometimes sometimes question and will say, well, if you have depression, then you must have sin in your life, or you're not prayed through, or you're not praying correctly, or you may have sin, and that can cause depression without a doubt. We've seen that in the Bible. However, oftentimes, there can be a chemical imbalance, 
And even as we pray, that chemical imbalance, which may be a biological genetic predisposition as well as uh, one that you're living with that keeps you depressed. And so we have to be very careful that we don't make quick uh, judgments about depression. And as we discuss it tonight, I hope we will go into depth about that varied difference. And I know your PowerPoint does talk a little bit about that as we move through this. But that's very important for us to see that there are some biological components to depression. Certainly there are spiritual Issues. We saw people like Elijah in, in, in 1 Kings, what, 18, where actually he, he had this remarkable, miraculous event where God came down and proclaimed himself, and the next day we see this man of God very much depressed until God said, lay down and rest and we will try to take care of you. Uh, had some depression there. We know of David. If you read the Psalms, you see deep, deep grief and pain. And some of his pain was brought on by his sin. However, there was forgiveness, and he was moving forward, yet he continued throughout his life without sin, facing forms of depression. And then we see our own Lord, who faced tremendous depression when he was going to the cross for you and for me because he who was without sin became sin on our behalf. And so he faced the deepest amount of depression any human being could experience. And so depression is a very, very delicate yet important topic for us uh, to discuss. So let's have a word of prayer, and then I'd like to quickly introduce our panel members for this evening. Father, thank you for each and every person who is here or those listening in to this audio recording. And I pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, that most importantly, your presence would be felt. You're the one who said, fear not. Fear leads to depression or anxiety. And sometimes those commingle. And we thank you, Father. You said, fear not, I am coming to you. You said, I want to give you joy. I want to give you health. That's the absence of depression. I want to give you emotional feeling that is healthy because the lack of emotion oftentimes equals or is very comparable to depression. So we pray, Father, that we would have healthy emotion, and we thank you for the privilege that you have given to us to understand how to gain that through your living word of God, that it is alive and it goes to the very marrow, the very soul of our beings. So thank you for the privilege of knowing your word, that it is alive and active even tonight as we join together. Thank you for these dear people who've come out on this evening and are hoping, without a doubt, as I am, that the Holy Spirit would presence us in a brand new way as you've never done before. Even though we know you're full, you, you're, you, don't, you don't renew yourself. You are absolutely full and complete. But sometimes because of our own pain or depression or difficulties, we disable the ability to absorb and download your wonderful spirit within us and your grace. So may we be able to see you this evening. That's our prayer. And we love you tonight. We thank you for the privilege of joining together. We give you praise. And in the name of Jesus, I pray. God's people said, amen. Welcome again tonight. Let me just introduce Krista Falk is our presenter. Uh, some of you have seen her here before. She's a licensed clinical social worker and uh, is a wonderful mother and a, a wife and uh, has a wonderful family, a very, very... Uh, 
wonderful, cute children. That's what I wanted to say. And we welcome her tonight. Chris has been with us before, and she'll be presenting on a topic that she's very familiar with and very skilled. Gary Cundiff, we welcome you. Krista, Gary is with us again. And uh, some of you have just enjoyed Gary over the years, and I so appreciate his willingness to ongoingly assist us. Many of you have sought him out as a therapist uh, because of him being here with us. So we welcome him, and his background is highlighted on the screen for you. Ryan Buckman is one of our newest intern therapists, professional therapist at the Center for Enriching Relationships, and he has a tremendous background. If you, you notice his theological training, his background in pastoral care and counseling, so we welcome Ryan tonight. Great insight. Yolanda was our recent presenter. Some of you are joining her group. In fact, in the very back, there are some handouts tonight for a group that she's forming for women. And so many of you have appreciated uh, not only her presentation in the past, but being with us. So we welcome each and every one of you tonight. Thanks for being here. And at this time, Chris is going to lead us in about a 15-minute presentation. If you do have your 3 by 5 card and you have a question written, would you please Hold it up in the air, and we'll collect them now and begin to distribute them up to the front to me. Krista? Thank you. Um, and hopefully, does everybody have a handout? From Yeah, okay, great. So that'll make it easy for you to follow along. Um, so basically, I'm just going to try to give you an overview. Um, we won't cover everything just because of the time we have, but hopefully you'll feel like you have a good idea of what we're talking about. When we're talking about depression, um, I'm going to go over types of depression and then you know, symptoms, what we're talking about, and then also ways to respond to it. So this is, I think everybody can relate to depression if, whether it's for yourself or someone you know. I mean, I can't imagine, mo most of us have had a contact with either someone or ourselves who have gone through this. So um, this should hopefully feel very applicable for you. Um, so I'm gonna start out with the types of depression. And the way we determine types of depression is basically degree of symptoms. Uh, for how strong your symptoms are. Um, when we're looking at the first one on your handout is the depression NOS. So that's NOS means not otherwise specified. And that's kind of a low grade depression um, that has kind of like mild symptoms overall that you're having. So, and we'll get into what those symptoms are in the next sheet. Um, dysthymia is, a, is also a low grade depression, but it's um, at least a, a year in children and two years in adults. So it's a low grade, but very ongoing kind of a chronic depression. Whereas depression NOS is um, not as chronic. So we don't tend to typify it as that. And depression NOS can be a little bit stronger than a dysthymia. Um, those ones are like, just when he was, when Don was talking about chemical or genetic pieces, we're always looking at family history. Like if you say, gosh, yeah, my grandma had depression, my mom had depression, my aunt had depression it's much more likely that you can have depression. It doesn't mean that you have to have depression, it just means that you're more predisposed, like it's easier for you to get depressed if something difficult happened in your life. So that's what we mean by that. Um, and dysthymia would be one of those. A lot of people that I see come in and have had, like they haven't felt great for a very long time, but they thought that was normal. <laughs> and then we you know, treat it and start helping them feel better, and that can be with medicine or therapy or both. And they are like, oh my gosh, I feel so much better. They didn't even realize they really had a depression. They thought this was normal um, to kind of feel this kind of lower level. So that can be, it's really exciting for people when they start to feel better, especially if they have dyslamia. Um, adjustment disorder, that's very specific to a situation that's occurred. Like if you can say, yes, I just moved, 
I just had you know, a huge loss in my life, I just had something very specific, then we consider that to be an adjustment disorder um, where you're maybe having a little depression, but it's probably not gonna be forever. So it, it usually is very much just in response to a stressor. And it usually lasts about three months, is what we're looking at. Major depression is much more heavy. <laughs> That's the one where it, we have mild, moderate, and severe is how we typify it. And um, it basically depends on how much you're able to function. And with a major depression, sometimes people really aren't functioning at all. It's really strong. Um, and with that, it can, sometimes major depressions can have psychosis with them, but they don't always. So. Um, so we're looking at that, and we'll talk again about symptoms, what we're looking for, but again, those can, major depression can fall in mild, moderate, or severe, and that may not last very long. You know, hopefully we're gonna alleviate the depression some, and that won't be a very long episode either. But a lot, that usually requires some medication to be helpful, but not necessarily permanent. You may just take it for a little bit, and, um, and then feel better. And then um, bipolar, this is kind of like the popular one lately. Everybody's like, oh, they're bipolar <laughs> to everybody. Um, but just if you seem to think people kind of are moody or whatever. But bipolar is really extreme. I mean, you're talking about like manic, meaning like you're up for days, you, you feel like you can do anything, like you're getting a lot done. You're, um, people love when they're manic. <laughs> people who are truly bipolar love the mania phase. It's, they're very productive, they feel like they're you know, they can do anything, they feel very confident, um, but then they crash because you can't be manic forever. So, and then the depressions are so strong and heavy and it's really hard for folks for the depression part. So, um, bipolar is obviously very chemical and very treatable if you are, and especially with medicine, that can be very treatable, and then with skills. Like, for folks who have bipolar, very highly structured um, ac daily activities are really good for them, and um, we can do a lot of different skills that are really helpful with managing that. So, um, okay, and so those are the ones. There's a couple others. Cyclothymic is a little bit lesser degree of a bipolar, but um, and we see that some, but it's you don't see as strong of the mania or the depression. It's more mild, um, and that's considered a cyclothymic, and that's not on your handout, but that's just an additional little piece. Okay, so let's talk about symptoms, what we're looking for. Um, so say you come in and you're, and you're talking with someone, this is how they're going to kind of identify how much depression you have and which area you might fall in. And that would, you could be thinking of your, of your family member too, who maybe you're thinking, I wonder if they have depression. We're looking at um, energy levels, usually with depression have dropped. Um, appetite is usually, can go up or down. So some people eat, 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 and some people don't eat at all. So it can go either way. Um, the mood, um, with that we're looking at, they tend, you tend to become more irritable when you're feeling depressed. It's just easier to get agitated <laughs> by people or things that normally aren't maybe very agitating, but they become agitating at the time. Um, motivation is down. Isolation is usually up. And then sleep can go up or down. Some people sleep a lot, some people can't sleep at all. Or you might have trouble falling asleep, and then you can stay asleep. Some people fall asleep easily, but then wake up a lot during the night. So um, we see variations in that. Concentration is usually down. And then obviously, sometimes we have thoughts about hurting ourselves. Um, that comes up. And parasuicidal is sometimes people um, do some cutting, but they don't necessarily want to die, but it's to kind of alleviate some of the pain that they're struggling with with the depression. Um, and then in children, we tend to see um, a lot of interrupted sleep. They get really agitated um, easily, and you'll see mood swings 
kind of quickly in them without any trigger. Like they, they seem to switch moods without being triggered necessarily by anything in particular. That's, um, so that's some of what we see in children. Um, <clears throat> especially with like, if we're trying to rule out like a bipolar in a child. So um, now if you don't have to have all these symptoms to have depression, <laughs> you could just have a few. So it doesn't necessarily have to be everything. So, okay, so now that we know a little bit about what we're talking about when we're talking about depression, let's go over to um, David and the Psalms. And um, I just wanted to use some scripture because I think it's very applicable, <laughs> obviously. And I just, like Don was saying, David's obviously like the favorite example because he's so, he just expresses himself so well and I think we can identify with him. So I put some verses on here. They're not all inclusive of everything in the Psalms that's available. But um, some of what he talks about are like in uh, chapter 22, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, he says, turn to me and be gracious to me for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart have multiplied. Free me from my anguish. And that's both 22 and chapter 25. And then in 10, he asks, why, O oh Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? So he's really, I mean, I think we can relate sometimes when we're feeling that badly. David put it out there. I mean, he was like, this is really hard. And he had various reasons. Like Don said, some of it was his own sin, you know, like with Bathsheba. Other things was like, God tells Saul that David's going to be, you know, the king, <laughs> like 15 years before it's going to happen. <laughs> so David's, you know, Saul's ticked and he's like chasing David down. David's hiding, running. I'm sure I, I'm sure I can only imagine. I'd be like, really? Did you have to tell him so soon? Like if I wasn't going to happen for another 15 years, can we broke the news later? You know, now he's ticked at me and he's chasing me. And so I just, you know, some of his trying to reason and understand, you know, and, um, it doesn't mean that he always got answers for that, but he, he struggles and he, and he shares that. So that's so helpful. Um, and then what, so I wanted to just indicate that it's, you know, expressing the emotions is important and what it is that's causing the struggle. And then he goes back to, I love that he always goes back to God's character. So if you look at chapter 42 and then chapter 77, we'll look at and his response is, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you. He's talking about God. And um, again, he says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will meditate on all your works and consider all your mighty deeds. Your ways, O God, are holy. So kind of bringing him back. It doesn't bring him resolution. It doesn't, Saul's still chasing him. <laughs> doesn't solve all those problems, but it changes his focus a little bit onto, okay, God, who you are, you're, you know, you're in knowing his character. You're faithful, you're holy, you're in control, you're sovereign. Help me, <laughs> you know? So, um, and we're going to get into why that's really important with our thoughts in a minute. Um, and then I also just put on there a little footnote that anger is a secondary emotion. Um, we often go to anger kind of quickly. And what we need to remember is that actually there's, we always feel something before that. So if you feel angry, it's awesome if you can just slow yourself down and try to figure out what it, are you really feeling lonely, rejected, disappointed, hurt, scared, sad, any other feeling before the anger. Because the anger, we're quick to it, but that's not really what we're feeling. We're really feeling something else. And that's what we want to be able to address, you know, either in the relationship that we're dealing with or whatever it is, that's what's really 
what, what needs to be talked about. So a little side note on emotions that we want to definitely focus on that. Okay, so moving over to intervention. Um, I said intervene on the cycle, and then I put below that thoughts lead to feelings lead to behaviors. And this is why we're, what we want to, everything originates in your thoughts. I know we think, we go through this process really quick, um, but we're, we're suddenly in a behavior, but we actually have a thought and then a feeling, and then we behave. So if we can change the thought, then we'll change the other areas. So, um, and that's part of why what David was doing was so important. Um, so, and like I, I put on there, Philippians 4.8, whatever is true, whatever is noble, pure, right, pure, lovely, admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And then I also, 2 Corinthians 10.5 is not on there, but that is the verse about taking captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And um, if we can change our thoughts, then we can change our feelings. Because the first thoughts we have are what? Like, no, you know, nobody likes me, or I'm never good at anything. I'll, this will never get better. I'm never going to be able to do this. It's always going to be bad. You know, those are the kind of the thoughts we have, right? Especially when we're depressed, we tend to have those. So we feel sad, upset, <laughs> hopeless, disappointed. We behave. We sleep more. We don't go to work that day. We don't return a phone call from a friend. We eat more or less. I mean, those are the behaviors. So if we can change the thought then we can change those other two categories as well and get out of the cycle. Because obviously then when we eat, say we stay home from work, then what? Then we feel guilty <laughs> or worried, right? Oh my gosh, am I going to lose my job? Am I, you know, is, what am I going to do? How am I going to get better? So then we have, you know, more feelings. I'm worried, I'm guilty, I'm anxious, you know. And then what? Maybe we sleep more. <laughs> I mean, so it, we're in a cycle. So this, so we want to get out of that. So... Going over to responses. Um, in order to get out of the cycle, it's, I put on there, it's easier to catch depression and respond to it when it's mild rather than more moderate or severe. So when we're really in the pit, it's, we can get out of it. It's just hard. It's much harder. So if we can catch it earlier, then we um, will be more successful with getting out quicker and not feeling like the depression is so strong. So knowing your red flags, which I just gave some examples, if you're calling out sick a lot, maybe not returning calls to friends, maybe you usually exercise a lot and you're not exercising and it's not because you're sick, like you don't have the flu or something like that. Um, maybe you're not, the dishes in the sink are piling up and that's very unusual for you. So, you know, knowing kind of your symptoms, like though that's not usually normal for me, is really important. And that can help a lot with you realizing, oh, maybe I have a little depression going on. Something's, you know, not quite right with me. So, and then I said also practicing your skills regularly, which we're going to talk about skills right now. Um, so let's go over to those, and then I'll, I'll kind of elaborate on that. Um, so as far as skills to challenge depression, um, one of them is recognizing your negative thoughts that tend to be overgeneralizing. So for example... I'm never going to be able to fix this. <laughs> it's probably not true, the nevers and the always, right? Um, it's always going to be bad or no one cares, right? That's probably not true. If we really sat down and thought about it, we'd probably be able to think of at least one person who cares. Um, so when you're, you tend to have really negative thoughts that tend to overgeneralize and be sweeping, and they feel really strong, like they feel very upsetting to you. 
It can be about your child. You know, they're never going to make a good choice or they're never going to listen or whatever. So um, it could be about your spouse, you know, he doesn't care, you know, or whatever. So um, really, one of the things you want to do, and I actually have a whole handout that I hand out on distortions, but is identifying distorted thinking that's going on, that's causing some of the, again, we start with our thought, then we have a feeling, then we behave. So if we can identify what some of the distorted thoughts are, then that is one skill that we work on, because then we can challenge the thought and say, well, is that true? Probably not. Let's think of some examples of how it's not. Um, secondly, we um, look at um, affirmation statements, which I said scripture's great. Um, you can ever also come up with other ones of your own, like um, say, for example, there's something that you're, you're struggling with that you're not um, very good at, but you need to, to get better at, say. So you think, I'll never be able to do this. I'll never be successful at this. So the the affirmation could be like, well, I'm going to take steps to try to get better at it, or I'm going to step by step, I'm going to be able to work on this. You know, something that's much more maybe neutral. It doesn't have to be like, I'm going to be the best person ever, ever, ever. You know, you don't have to be like over the top with your affirmation, but you can be kind of neutrally, at least it's not so negative, and it's kind of moving toward a positive. So that's great, or you can always just use scripture too. You know, that I'm wonderfully created by the Lord who loves me, who loved me before I was born, who knew me, knows my name. You know, I mean, you can have those kind of things, too, for affirmation statements. And those can make a big difference because we just replace them then. We take out the negative thought, replace it with the new thought. And it's kind of like a fake it till you make it. You don't have to believe it right away. You don't have to, because that af, people hate affirmations. <laughs> like when I teach them, they're, it's really hard because they don't believe it. They're like, no, I believe the other thought. <laughs> But you got to remember that your negative thoughts are a habit that you've learned. You've, you've practiced that over time, maybe not knowingly. And some of it was even when we were children and maybe someone said it to us a lot. And so we'd started to think that and believe it. Um, but affirmations are the same. We, we have to replace it with the new affirmation. And then with time and habit of thinking it, it will become true in our mind. And we will believe it. So, and it is a true statement that we, that we create. So, so you just have to take time with it and it, have it become a habit, just like the negative thought has become. Because you'll, you'll find that we tend to have the same negative thoughts. They just kind of move around to our situations. So that's why the affirmations can be really useful. The third skill that is really helpful with fighting depression is um, doing activities of daily living. We call them ADLs. And those are like... These also are sometimes hard because they're really simple. So a lot of people think these aren't going to help me, but they actually really help. Like if you just do the dishes, you know, it's like, okay, I don't see how that's going to, but you know what? Looking at a nice clean sink can really help and, or make the bed, or these are things that fall out of your life when you're depressed. Sometimes even showering, you just don't do some of this stuff when you're really depressed. So, um, we try to build those back in and then maybe going for a walk because when you're on a walk, what? You might run into someone who talks to you. Their dog comes up and hopefully is kind, <laughs> doesn't. And um, or you know you hear the birds or you see the sun on. I mean it's going to change your mood a little bit to be out. So we do try to do a little bit of a walk maybe. Um, maybe we say try to call a friend this week. Try to call one person this week that that you can talk with even for five minutes or whatever. So we um, try to set plan some of those for um, intervening. Um, the fourth one is just knowing your triggers. So if it's the anniversary of a loss for you coming up, you know, next week, 
it's probably not a good idea for you to maybe be home alone on that day, not with anyone. You know, it's things that think about times that are more difficult for you. Then you want to try to plan something for that day, maybe, so that it makes it not such a bad day for you that you can get through it a little bit easier. Um, and it, you could decide what you want to do with that day, but you might want to try to plan something that can be helpful during that time. Sometimes holidays are really hard for people, so trying to plan for those, anticipating dates that tend to be more difficult, anniversaries of things, you know, whatever it could be that's hard for you. So, and then the last area is just working on communication. And again, I spend, I usually spend a lot of time on this area too, in my work. Um, just working on creating new I statements, because being able to communicate <laughs> with folks, and especially maybe situations that are causing some of the depression in your life, relationships, can make a huge difference. So we work on very specific I statements, and then um, we look at the type of communicator that you are. Are you aggressive, assertive, or passive? Folks who are, um, we usually, we tend to see a lot of passiveness um, assertiveness is obviously our favorite. That's where we want you to be. Because <laughs> that's like your needs matter and my needs matter. That's assertive communication. Whereas passive is like it all, all of you matters. It doesn't, what I need doesn't matter at all. So that doesn't feel very good. So that tends to cause some depression. And then aggressive, obviously you don't matter. All that matters is me. And so then you kind of end up isolating yourself. So that can cause some depression too. So we work on really trying to get into the assertive area of communicating. So, um, and what, these skills really help getting out of depression, um, but they also are good to just keep doing. You don't want to like, and this happens sometimes with medication too, when people start taking medication. And again, some folks don't need to stay on medication. They just need a little short time. But with the skills, if they're working, we want you to keep doing them. <laughs> so even when you're like, oh, the depression's getting better, that's great, but you want to keep doing it because like we said, that way in case a bump comes, because unfortunately life is rather unpredictable and we don't know, you know, if something new is gonna come up that might be upsetting, you're already doing your skills, well then you're not gonna fall into a deep depression as easily. You're gonna be more ready, okay, you know, to respond. And hopefully the depression will not be as strong for you then. So we wanna keep them going once we have them. So, okay, on our last, we're at our last slide. Um, so as far as responding to others, um, so in case depression is not something you struggle with, which is, awesome and wonderful. We know it's common, right? Because we see commercials about medication on TV. And so we know it must be that common. There's all these commercials. Um, but if not, if, if it isn't something that you struggle with, in terms of responding to others, what we want to do is offer support. And sometimes it's just listening. You may not know what to say. I mean, that's totally fine. You don't have to have the answers for them or, you know, sometimes it's just being able to listen to them. Um, a lot of times people come in who have the depression and say, my spouse, friend, brother, sister, whoever, doesn't understand. Like, they're just like, you should just get over it. You know, it's not a big deal. Why are you upset? It's, everything's fine. So we definitely don't want to tell them that because it's very minimizing for them. And for the person who has depression, it's really hard for them. And they don't want to feel this way. So we, that, we definitely want to stay away from that, from saying that to them. Um, we could seek pastoral or professional help. So you could seek your pastor and see if they have any kind of, like here at this church, they offer some counseling programs and... Um, or you can seek professional, obviously, like through family consultation or who, any other professional help. Um, and then safety-wise, you know, say if, again, with the thoughts of hurting themselves that sometimes comes up, we, I did put the crisis hotline down here for you, just so you have it. 
Um, and then just saying that you can pr you're praying for the person is very valid. I mean, you know, to be able to say, I will be praying for you and checking in with you and see how you're doing. And then if there really seems significant situation, you could say, and I hope you'll call my pastor. or I hope you'll call this number, you know, type of thing. So you can kind of do a joint type of effort there for them. So, all right. And that's kind of an overview of depression. Outstanding. Would you join me in thanking Krista for that? Thank you. Outstanding. Let's jump into our questions that really relate to what you've already helped us with. And that is the first question is, could I have some form of depression and not even know it? Could I have some form of depression and not even know it? Let's speak to that issue for just a moment. Please go right ahead. Ryan, you ready? Yeah. Um, if, you have, if you're depressed, you know it because you're feeling really sad. And, uh, you know, there's, there could be many things that could be causing that. You know, not just thinking yourself into a depression. I mean, certainly... Um, cognition thoughts can lead you to that. There's a number of other things you might want to consider as well. For example, what are you eating? How's your diet? Are you eating a balanced diet? Because if you're not eating well, that is going to affect your mood. Number two, are you exercising? Do you get regular exercise? You know, a 30-minute walk a day can do wonders in terms of elevating a person's mood. Number three, uh, how well are you sleeping? Are you sleeping eight hours a night, nine hours a night? Or are you going to sleep and waking up, going to sleep? Do you drink a lot of coffee? Do you drink a lot of alcohol? If you find yourself doing those things, that's certainly going to affect your mood. So if it gets to the point where you find yourself not enjoying things that you like to do, uh, if you find yourself unmotivated, lacking energy, feeling fatigued, uh, not wanting to be with friends, not wanting to be with family members, you find yourself isolating, um, those are indications that you might be having some depression. And so to say that I don't know that I'm depressed, you may not have labeled it that way, but certainly you're not going to feel normal. You're going to feel out of sorts, and, and certainly you want to get that checked out. So I could feel, I might not feel sad, but maybe I'm not sleeping well, or maybe um, I'm eating too much or too little, as was shared by Krista. Would those be signages of depression? So I may not feel sad necessarily, but maybe I'm a little agitated. I'm not sure I function well. I have a little bit of fog when I think about, I, I don't remember things as well as I'd like to. Would those be symptoms of depression? If we can build yeah, on what I was Ryan said. Gonna say, I mean, sometimes, I think sometimes people don't realize that it, irritability is part of depression or say you've had it kind of growing up and maybe it's complicated by you know a difficult childhood as well so it's like okay well am I depressed or do I just have a difficult time getting along with my parents or I don't or I, there was abuse going on or you know I mean there, there can be other factors that sometimes complicate it and don't it's harder to tease out that oh I'm depressed you know so um but I think like you said is when you know the symptoms when you know what you're what you're looking for, then you can say, oh, that's, that's what I'm experiencing. Yeah, it's depression. There's some let's, depression Let's on. take that a little further if we can, what, what both of you have said so far. Let's say someone uh, grew up in a family that was very negative, and they heard negative thoughts and statements time and time again. And this relates to so many people. Mm -hmm. 
But it's a very, so you have, you have again, you have thoughts, feelings, behavior, mm-hmm. which is what you share. Just suppose they say, you know, I function, I go to work, I care for my children if I have children, for my spouse, if I have a spouse, or, or for my family. And yet, all I have in my mind are negative thoughts, and they seem to permeate my thinking, mm-hmm. which leads me to not feeling sad necessarily, but not hopeful at times. Right, exactly. That's a great example of that you cannot always know that you have it. I mean, as far as like, you don't realize until you feel a little better okay. and yeah. try and the, something else and then go, oh. The, the analogy that I use in terms of that is that if you walk into, you know, like, I use this in my office. If somebody walks in and there was a horrible, horrible odor in that office, initially they'd go, what in the world is that? You stay in there for eight hours, you don't notice it any longer. And that's sort of like the way depression works. You just adapt, you know, because the human being is one of the most adaptable creatures on this planet. Mm-hmm. And like Krista said earlier, it's like, I just thought that was normal. I thought everyone felt that way. You know, life is a drudgery. And so, yeah, I, I believe that people can be really depressed without really recognizing that what really is, you know, uh, complicating their life is that depression. Okay. Yeah, and we're not talking, I mean, a major depression you're going to notice. <laughs> Because that's like really moderate to severe symptoms. Oh, give the You're symptoms like not real quick. functioning. Not we're functioning. talking about like a dysthymia or depression or depression NOS or I mean those are sometimes people don't always realize they totally have that unless you have a difference. Like oh, I was doing fine and now I can't go to work. I can't sleep. I'm not hungry. I'm not you know. Now you're like yeah something's wrong. You know so. And the, the strongest uh, indicator of really strong depression would be a sense of hopelessness, right. a lack of hope. Let's tie into a second question that really relates to what we've just started discussing. What is the best way to let go of issues in your past to help you uh, overcome depression? I know you've said thoughts lead to feelings, lead to behaviors. Let's be more specific now, give a little bit more time to what is the best way then to let go of issues? It may be thoughts that you, you've had your entire life or to let go of these issues in your past to help you overcome depression? I have a different take on it because I'm not real big in the cognitive you know, therapy part of it. <laughs> what I think in terms of is an energy in our relationships, you know, what it does is it creates energy. And any relationship, any interaction that I might have with someone, some energy has been created. You come from, say, a really disruptive, chaotic background, and energy has been placed in you. And that energy doesn't just go away. And a lot of times, people just don't recognize that that's energy that's there. It could be grief, it can be anger, resentment, you know, bitterness, unforgiveness, a lot of, you know, which is all energy, see? And it's really about, you know, from the way I approach it, it's about how to, you know, get to that energy in a safe atmosphere where that energy can actually be released. A lot of people, you know, there's another cause for depression, that's complicated bereavement. You know, where people have had severe losses in in their life where that, that, they've never really been able to grieve that out. You know, they, you know, for whatever particular reason, they may have just, you know, didn't have time or didn't think that it was necessary because we, you know, we live in a society, a lot of times you're, we're told to not pay attention to your feelings. You know, it's better to suppress them, deny them, and just move on. Put that behind you. Just forget it and go on. And, but that energy is going to you know, remain there. And, and so I look at it from kind of that perspective. And that energy, of course, if it's really painful energy, creates thoughts. <laughs> and so I kind of come from it from a different, you know, a very different angle. 
Yolanda, yes. Uh, the person who's asking this question, I think everyone would like to know what is the best way for anything. For you, who was asking that question, it may, it's going to be very individual, and I sense that you want to get it done with now, like maybe by this evening, get it over with. What's the best way I can do that? Maybe by tomorrow morning. There isn't a best way, and there isn't an only one way. It just doesn't exist. But what I like about that question is it sounds like you're thinking about starting. And it, what I want to say is it doesn't, there isn't a perfect place to start. Maybe the place to start is here, just acknowledging it and being aware. Let's say you've already started on your way. Let's see what you do from tonight on. But there is no one way and there is no best way. Uh, but take heart, this is a start. Didn't mean that to rhyme. Thank you. As we think of the start, and as Ryan, you helped us to lead us out in this, this concept. Listen to these two questions. They really relate to what we're talking about at this point. How do I approach my husband who has many, if not all, of the symptoms of depression, but always says he's fine? Listen to the second question. Another person writes, my husband is an avoider. I think he's been depressed for years. I'm scared what's going to happen with so many years of stuffing. I think, Gary, you were just talking about that. And and then, Yolanda, you were saying, let's, let's get a, a start. Let's start someplace. He is very isolated, pushes me away, and has no one with whom he opens up to. He suffers from anxiety, which presents him driving in certain situations. I'm at loss how to support him. He refuses to consider or go to therapy. How can I set up boundaries so I'm not enabling this situation? Let me go back to the first question, and then we'll try to respond to these two questions that have very similar uh, philosophies, how, or questions that have a philosophical base. How do I approach my husband, who has many, if not all, of the symptoms of depression, but always says he's fine? That really piggybacks what you just mentioned to us, Yolanda. How do we start? How does someone start or begin to respond with a spouse. We could make this, if we made it more broad, it may be a, a spouse who's you know, a female or it's the male, but either one, uh, because actually females experience more depression mm -hmm. than men. We know that in the stats, but let's suppose there are two men here that, and two females who are asking about their, their mates. Well, um, I, there's a lot of stigma attached with depression, you know, and going to like a therapist or I, there's, it tends to be kind of hard. So I think it depends on the person as far as how you might approach it. And maybe you don't use those labels, you know, maybe you don't use those words because they're, it can be hard. It can be very hard for, for people to, um, to use those words sometimes to, to identify what they're feeling, but you could just talk about how they're feeling with them and see if that might be more productive. Um, and just talking about, gosh, I just want you to feel better. You know, I want you to, I want to go do things with you. I want to spend time with you. And it seems like you don't feel like doing that. And I just, I wonder what's wrong. And if, you know, this could be different, it could be better. You know, just trying to see, because most people who feel depressed want to feel better too. So it's kind of like trying to talk, again, communicate on with where they're at, you know? So um, that's part of what I would do with that. And then... Um, that's why a lot of times too, um, the gateway can be kind of primary care versus like going straight to therapy, a therapist. Um, a lot of, you can go with, with primary care with trying to like maybe do a little medication or something like that Tell if you wanted primary to. primary care to your physician, right? Yeah. Your, your like physician. your, your medical physician versus going straight through 
like a counseling. Like your family doctor. Yeah, family doctors will prescribe sometimes if you want to start there. And that feels like it's less of a stigma for for some folks. So... Now, it's interesting, you're referring back to almost page three of your handout where you're saying not being aggressive here and you're not being passive, you're being assertive Mm -hmm. by going to your mate and seeing if there's a way to talk. That almost sounds elementary, but it's so useful. To talk about how they're feeling and not trying to like label it or be annoyed with them like, oh, you never want to do anything or, you know, I mean, trying to be more empathetic about it. How how could I do that in a positive way? Because if I even brought it up, my mate might go, here you are, you're always bugging about this, you know? That just really ticks me off when you talk to me like that. You know, how could I approach my mate with my, now, Robin, my mate, wouldn't do that, but I'm just saying uh, she's just too nice to no. do that. And, but, she is very nice. But I was going to say that, uh, no, she, she probably needs to be a little more assertive with me. But, but with that, being assertive, not aggressive or passive. Passive would just be, oh, well, just whatever. You know, I'll just kind of live with this. I'll put up with it. I'll go in the other room when they're like this. What are some yeah. positive ways that I can interact? Because that person might be negative. Well, I, that's spot. when I would use the I statements. Hmm. And the I statements are all about I feel that, you know, that, that this is happening, this is happening, or wait, this is happening and I feel this way. And what I would like is if I'd love to be able to do some stuff together or at least be able to talk a little bit or, you know, because depression does make you irritable. So yes. if they're reacting and maybe they tend to be a little bit more aggressive communicator than just trying to respond back with an I statement can, can usually really help. It usually, you can't be defensive to an I statement usually because it's all something that you're saying about yourself of how you feel. So they use, it usually brings way down the defensive. They don't feel attacked. They don't feel, you know, like you're getting on their case. They'd feel like, oh, like you care. Like, I just really care about you. And mm. I just really would like to see you feeling better. And I'd like to be able to, to spend more time with you or I don't know, something like that. You know, or assertive. I'd like to be able to, yeah. That's and just but saying a nice yes. statement, identifying mm-hmm. your feelings and how they might be feeling. Gosh, it looks like you're not feeling very good. And that's, I'm really sad about that. So... I'd like to say I was in a position similar to that in our early years of marriage. This is going to be something that doesn't sound, I'm going to go in the back door. If you are here in the audience and you're the wife that has this problem with your husband, I would say he's telling you something. When he says, I'm fine, he's telling you something in man speak. I would say go and find a Christian therapist so that you can begin the process for yourself because the two of you are one. He doesn't have to go to get fixed necessarily first. Obviously, you're in pain, you're troubled, you're distressed about the relationship. Find a a therapist, a Christian therapist that you can talk to. When you get started, you could probably see, uh, invite him in to the process, um, maybe on a one-time basis. But I would say you need help to be able to understand your husband. If he's saying, I'm fine, he may be saying something else underneath that. He may be saying, I don't think I can talk to you. I don't think I can trust you, or something else. But he is saying something. So I'm saying, take the first step and go to a therapist and talk about this issue. Then you can probably get some more insight. is my experience. When men say that, they mean that, but they're saying something else. Mm-hmm. What's the old acronym for fine, fearful, insecurity, neurotic, and insecure? <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> I think that's what they mean. That's what they mean. Yes. Okay. Anyone else about that? I think that's an important discussion. Sometimes we begin to respond to our mate 
in a way that actually exacerbates it, creates more problems. And I believe that's why you're suggesting that we might assert ourselves individually and seek out uh, a therapist, a pastor, someone who does have skill to work with these types of, of issues. Okay. I've had many people come in, you know, saying, you know, they're going to start working on their marriage individually. You know, and then later the husband shows up or the wife shows up and because they were, they're going to do it whether, you know, their partner's joining them or not. So what, okay. what I was going to add to this was the most challenging aspect about trying to motivate a spouse to change is what makes it challenging is that you have to recognize that there are only two conditions in which change will occur. The first is the person who you want to change needs to recognize the change is necessary. Mm. They, have to, they have to come to the recognition that change is necessary. The second condition in which change will occur is when they recognize that change will somehow serve them. So you might want to ask yourself as a wife, you know, what are some ways in which I can let my husband see that if he changes, that's something will be better in their marriage or something will be better in life as a result of his decision to change. And just as Krista said, you got to start speaking in I statements. You got to start talking about how the behaviors, how the, the mannerisms are all affecting you. You got to speak from the perspective of, I want to do things with you, but you always seem to want to just sit and watch TV. I want to talk to you, but you always seem to shut me out. I feel, I feel like I'm not in a marriage anymore. I feel like I'm in a coexistence. And you got to actually explain what's going on for you so that the person begins to recognize, if I want to keep this marriage, i got to change. And if I do change, I'm going to be able to stay together with this person that I love very deeply. So it's difficult to do it, but if you want to motivate change, you got to start from what's happening for you. And as Yolanda was saying, which I think is a great idea, maybe to learn how to have those conversations, it might be wise to work with a counselor to kind of get that guidance so that you can learn how to facilitate and, and manage that kind of discussion. I forgot to add something that was really important. You know I'm going to ask this. What have you heard God say to you about your husband's depression? The reason I got to counseling myself is because I have a prayer partner, and we prayed about it, and she said, I know you think he's got the problem, but I feel like God wants to start with you. So who's your prayer partner that you can confide in about this issue so you're not bearing this pain alone? And when you hear God's direction, follow it. Mm-hmm. Half the people I talk to say, I can't hear a thing from God. And the other half say, I'm hearing it, but I don't like it. When you hear, (laughs) obey. Okay. Yeah, and I think that's biblical because when someone has odd against us, you know, we ought to pray for them or we ought to lay down our tithe, our gift, and really go be reconciled. The fact is when we pray for someone, God does speak to us. And maybe there's an element of changing. Let's, let's use a story here, if we can, that ties into all four of you, what you were just talking about. It's another story that, that a dilemma for someone in our audience tonight. It's talking about a family situation. Uh, with brothers and sisters and me, it says, we've suggested therapy together to help, to help me understand and how to cope. Numerous emails and phone calls. There's no response for the last 
nine uh, months. And my question is, it says, two years ago, my daughter, 21 years old, made the choice to become homosexual. She, she knows I don't share the view or approve. She has cut off all contact uh, with my side of the family. Again, no contact, the sense that, uh, that uh, there, there is, there's a cutoff, absolutely. How would you advise this person uh, who is in obviously great pain sitting in our audience tonight related to this uh, family member? It sounds to me what, what you want to do is you want to open up a line of communication with this daughter. And in order to do that, she's obviously made a choice that was, number one, very difficult for her to make, and number two, she was aware of the consequences of making this choice. But at the same time, there is a part of her that deeply desires to reach out and reconnect with you and her family. And what I'm thinking she would want is for you to communicate with her, but to set aside your judgment of her decision. So what I'm saying is, I mean, I recognize why you believe what you believe, but to take the judgment of the decision and just set it aside, you know, not ignore it, but set it aside, reestablish communication with the daughter, reopen a dialogue with her, and reform that relationship. Reconnect and have that relationship again. And then, when the time is right, and when the two of you are close, and it's necessary, then you can revisit the decision that she made. But if she doesn't want to go there, then in order to sustain the relationship, I would encourage you to stay away from it until the time is, until the time is appropriate. And during the time, you know, also really spending, if you're not in contact and there's no way to make that contact, it might be a good time to really reflect about what it really means to you because you know that's sort of an issue can you know as a parent that fear that somehow it, it's a reflection on who you are as a parent and that sort of thing and really beginning to kind of sort out what it really means to you and getting clear to you know with that you know and, and it may just be a good time to do that before you're able to uh, reconnect Okay, let's get real practical with these are very helpful foundation for this discussion, what both of you gentlemen shared. What if I can't get in contact? What, what, that was the issue is that I have no way to get in contact. How can we do a basic response to that? If, if there's a cutoff and it's very well said to be able to focus on your love for this person, um, what do we do at that point? It's a very, very perplexing situation of which I've seen many of my patients, clients experience. What do we do with some first steps there? If they came to your office and they just shared the story, I'm not, I've tried email, I've tried communication, but I don't know how to get in touch. It's very humbling to be cut off from someone that you love. But cut off is their way of protecting themselves. Sometimes it's a way of punishing you. But I think one step would be to respect that they're not ready to talk to you. And maybe you're not perceived as a safe person. So again, I think we need to respect what people are communicating to us rather than trying to ignore it or change it. There's a lot you can do. I don't know where you're willing to start, but insisting and waiting and expecting and you know, putting pressure so that that person will respond to you could be a sign that you're not ready 
because you want the door to be open between the two of you. And obviously, right now, the other person doesn't see you as an open person or a safe person. There's prayer. There's praying with a a prayer partner. Perhaps there's some issues that you have between you and God that you need to deal with. And have God open the door so the timing is right and you're safe. That's what I believe. It's letting go. And that's probably one of the hardest things for any of us to do is to truly let go. I believe you know, Jesus really exemplified that really well, you know, in the Mount of Temptation where, you know, he was able to let go. But he didn't just, you know, it's like here, you know, just let go and let God. But what do you do when you let go? I mean, just do nothing. And I think what Jesus exemplified was what he did was he took hold of himself and really, you know, really struggled and, and really held on to who he was and held on to his, you know, his values and, you know, his identity and all that sort of thing. He let go of the situation, though. And sometimes that's, you know, the real challenge is, you know, letting go and letting God, but, you know, letting go and taking hold of myself at the same time. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a tough situation. I mean, it's I don't... Tough. It's really hard to let go of a child. I don't, it's mm. pretty tough. Um, I, I would, I think praying, for sure, is obviously something you can do, and that person doesn't even have to know you're doing it. Um, I, I think it almost becomes a one-sided relationship, and I, I almost um, recommend some level of perseverance with that. Mm. Meaning, even if you're not hearing back. Um, still reaching out on some levels. Just saying, I'm praying for you, I am I really care about you, I miss you, I love you. And, and that doesn't resolve the history of whatever happened, but just saying, I think about you a lot, or I, you know, I don't know, I still think there's some level that you can still reach out to the person, on whether it's monthly or every couple months, a little letter you send, and then praying. I, I, I think, I don't know, because I don't know how you just let go. <laughs> Of a child, yeah. I think that's pretty tough. You you obviously have a difference of an agreement here and following a biblical standard of homosexuality, but still loving the person, but not sin, right? So I still think there's a level that you can still reach out, and especially in a child relationship where children always want the approval of their parents on some level, <laughs> no matter what. Even teens do, even though they don't seem like they do, but they do. So. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably take that angle on it. So sort of like what Mother Teresa, relating to the safe ideas, well, Mother Teresa said you, you can't love someone and judge them at the same time. Yeah, I think, reaching out. especially in this one, it, it's a tough one. It's really tough, this sin. But sin is sin mm-hmm. in God's eyes. And we're to love the sinner but not the sin, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think kind of separating that out a little bit and not and still taking the stance that I don't agree with this. This is not okay. It's not a good decision, but I still love you, you know, well, so part, kind of separating that out. Well, part of the letting go is to know that you're not going to figure it out. Mm-hmm. You know, you're probably not going to be the one to come up with a solution. And part of the obsession around that, see, is that, you know, there's got to be an answer. There's got to be a solution. And that's why people, you know, obsess. 
-hmm. is because it's this drive to come to some kind of solution, some some sort of a resolve. Well, this is a this is a situation that a lot of people have worked on for a lot of years, and you know there hasn't been any real you know solutions or you know resolves around that you know that I know of uh, that have really been effective. So. Yeah, we're going to go to a question back here, a response, but I want to just touch real quickly because I think this is very carefully and thoughtfully yeah, responded to by each of you. When you talk about safe, I think, when Yolanda, you were saying that too, is safety is the sense, do I have the mind of Christ in this? Am I responding to my daughter as Christ is responding to her? You know, I love Brennan Manning's statement. I've quoted it often who happened to has, happens to be a Catholic priest Christian who says, when he saw me at my worst, he's talking about Jesus. When he saw me at my worst, he loved me the most. So this safe piece, I think, is very important. We're all speaking to that, that point, and that is how to be a safe person in any relationship in this very volatile and, and very tenuous place is, am I, am I taking on the mind of Christ? Is his heart becoming mine? He poured out his life. For me and for my daughter, am I taking on his attitudes? And I think that's something for us to, to actually take in. We're all speaking about that in just a little different yeah. ways. Saying Jesus loves you in the yes. cards you write. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Yes. And, and that truly is at the very heart of who you are. I think there was a response back here. Yes, Donna? Yeah, I was actually just to um, add my own perspective, having yes. had um, a prodigal daughter that chose to separate herself from us and walk a really dark path. And um, she, um, she did cut off all mm. opportunity for a while. But mm. like Yolanda said, the opportunity for me to communicate to her through Jesus. I mean, I was praying that he was behind her, whispering in her ear, her ear how much he loved her, how much we loved her. Mm -hmm. and. And that was the other thing that I recognized is that relationship was cut off, but there was an opportunity for a new relationship. And mm -hmm. it was that hope of the new relationship, and especially that process that you do of what things did I have a part in mm -hmm. causing this severing, mm -hmm. so that I was preparing, the Lord was preparing my heart for that new relationship when the mm -hmm. opportunity came. And I just prayed that she would get to that pigsty where she would come to her senses mm -hmm. when she was fighting the pigs mm -hmm. for those pea pods that, you know, that, mm -hmm. that she would then have that turnaround moment. And until you have that opportunity to restore that relationship or, mm -hmm. like I say, to start a new one, sometimes it is a matter of waiting. Mm -hmm. but. Um, in the process, you just keep actively praying. Mm -hmm. And I think you're demonstrating what a, a healthy relationship is. If we even bring it back full circle to uh, depression and healthy relationship. In 1920, the psychological movement became a scientific movement. Before that, it started about 1898, and there was movement with William James and others within the university settings. But what happened is when 1920 came with uh, uh, Sigmund Freud, and he developed what we now know as psychodynamic theory, which has led into object relations uh, therapy as well. But what he said was there, you, you, there's something that's hidden. In fact, there are two questions here about dreaming. 
that things can be hidden from us and there can be a hardness of the heart. He didn't say that, but biblically, there can be a hardness of the heart that keeps us from having loving relationships with those around us. So as we go full circle back to depression, there is typically an element of a hardness of a heart from a spiritual standpoint that can be prevalent in the depression that keeps us at a distance. You know, the devil wants to come to kill, steal, and destroy. If he just divides us, he's conquered us. You know, Jesus said, never neglect the gathering together of the saints, but encourage each other all the more as you see the day drawing near. So if he divides us in relationship and through to even depression, then he's done his, his work. And we know there are physical issues and there are also uh, nurture issues, nature versus uh, nurture. But with this, in thinking about, Donna, what you were talking about, you were talking about a softened heart, a safe place to which your daughter could respond. I think it's a beautiful way that you articulate, even though it was, it was packed with lots of pain. There was another comment or someone? Yes. Um, I just wanted to say, uh, we have also here at Skyline on Thursday night at 7, mm-hmm. a group for both. It's a mixed group with the people that are struggling or have struggled in our back and, uh, and the family. So I'm going because I have a cousin that is on that lifestyle. And it's so wonderful what the Lord does there and how you can see um, what they are going through, how mm-hmm. they felt when they were on that moment or if they are on that moment and how they are now. And you as a family member can see how you can speak to them. They can even tell you, you know what, speak to me and make me come back. What was this? Or when my mom says this or when my dad said that. And that is just awesome because you learn with them and we are all together. So Thursday nights at 7, 4.15 if... uh, Thank you. 415 is the room upstairs. It's in this building. Thank you. I want to move, if we can, shift, unless there was another comment. Let's move to a couple other questions that shift just a little bit. What is seasonal depression is the question they're asking. Um, What does it look like, and what are the triggers? We spoke to it just, I think, briefly. Um, No, no, seasonal, I didn't, (laughs) actually. That's when we don't see as much out here because our our climate is so mild. (laughs) So people actually move out here because of it. But seasonal affective is when, based on the seasons, you tend to get more depressed maybe in the winter months when it's colder and darker. And um, Yeah, so, um, you know, Alaska's brutal. <laughs> but, yes. um, yeah, so people really do struggle with that. And I actually had written it, but I didn't. I, I neglected to say it as one of the diagnoses. We just don't see it as much out here because our seasons are so mild. So, but, yeah, it's a Thank real you. thing. And a lot of people move out here out of, you know, from back east and things. They like vitamin D and other things that happen because of the lack of the sunshine, I think, is what you're referring to. What is the difference then between anxiety and depression? That's another question. These are very good questions, and we want to try to respond to the questions that are being asked tonight. Well, Well, anxiety is often just a part. Oh, I'm sorry. No, you go ahead. Anxiety is often just a part of the depression. You know, it's just one of the symptoms often that you'll see in someone that's really struck. You know, I, I look at anxiety as, a, you know, primarily what anxiety often is, is nothing more than an unwanted impulse about to, you know, erupt into conscious awareness. In other words, there's a lot of anger 
or a lot of grief or you know resentment or something that's still you know really unresolved within an individual and that you know that energy is really just trying to get to the surface and what people experience that as very often is just this anxiety that goes along with that i know that's really true for me anytime i've really you know had some real hurt in my life you know where you know has resulted in some real grief. I always experience a tremendous amount of anxiety before that kind of erupts, you know, and I get into the grieving period. It can also be anger, you know, and, and so there's a lot of things that can underwrite that, but it's very often just it's just a part of the, the whole depressive, you know, process. So they, oh, go ahead. yeah, they really interact, and it's a really good question because you usually have one that comes first. You're either more anxious or more depressed. Um, and if you're, if it's depression, then the anxiety can link because then like, say you're, you are missing work. Say for example, you're sleeping more, so you're missing work. You start to worry that you're gonna lose your job. So you get more anxious. So the anxiety attaches and it can be the opposite too. You could be anxious first and then depression can attach. So they really do work. Okay. So I have an adolescent. Together. If I have an adolescent, is that why sometimes adolescents, you see their anxiety, their agitation first, that that exemplifies a sense of, or a uh, semblance of depression? No. Well, anxiety and depression are different. I mean, they're definitely right. different. So, right. like I said, you, you usually have one or the other that's more primary, but they can both be present. But one is more so present than the other, and they're they're very different. Anxiety can also be <laughs> so a, you can kind of see it. It can also be a part of you know some trauma that's really taken place that hasn't you know really you know been you know confronted or you know come to a real awareness that's still existing within someone it's that that energy that has to go somewhere you know and so it comes out in the form of anxiety versus really you know confronting the real danger or the fear that is really there Okay, I want to go to, with our time, we have a limited time now, and we've talked a lot about relationship issue related, related issues related to relationship. I'm going to get related in there several times, I think. But I want to go to the biological, because there are several questions related to that. Again, using related, thank you, is this question, is depression ever cured? Okay, respond to that if you wouldn't mind. Is depression yes. ever cured? That's a question. Yes. Thank you for your answer. I really appreciate that. It, makes well, everyone feel it depends on where the depression's <laughs> yeah, emanating I, from. You know, if it's a developmental <laughs> depression, a situational so. depression, you know, can, you know, you get it resolved, and yeah, the depression will go away. I, I find that most of the people I've worked with is the depression is usually resulting from some. It's a developmental issue. You know, where life seems overwhelming because they're stuck somewhere in the developmental process, and so life is just too overwhelming creating this low energy, this, uh, you know, just this sense of helplessness, or situational, where there's, you know, tremendous stresses going on in their life, and they're not coping with that well, and, you know, once all those issues are kind of addressed, yeah, the depression can completely be, you know, eliminated, and people will go on. Okay, listen to this. Oh, go ahead, Ryan, and then I'm going to ask this question. I just wanted to add on, but there is also the clinical depression, which is actually an organic problem. In other words, a genuine chemical imbalance in the brain, and that does need to be treated with medication under the supervision of a psychiatrist, and preferably with regular visitations to a therapist to ensure that whatever medication that the psychiatrist has prescribed is actually functioning the way it's supposed to be functioning. So um, that's, that means depression is treatable. It's very treatable, but it can recur. A person can have a recurrent depressive episode. 
So it's, it's not always, you know, I'm, I've, I've thought myself into a depression. In other words, I've broken up with my girlfriend, stubbed my toe, my dog died, my house burned down. Those are bad, you know, that, that certainly will produce a bad day, and over a period of time, it may cause you to feel sad. <laughs> yeah, all at once. Yeah, all Especially if all that happened at once. But, <laughs> but eventually that will lift. You can ultimately ride it out. But if you actually have an organic problem in the brain that needs to be medicated, then it is possible for, for depression to recur, but it is treatable. As far as curable, your circumstance can improve, um, but it's really up to you to decide whether or not you've been cured. And, okay. and that's why we say the skills keep using, because something new could happen that's upsetting, so use the skills. And then, yeah, especially with a chemical, if you're taking regular medication that's working for you, and yeah, you can definitely alleviate the depression. Yeah, now we, with because with this, this next question asks, you know, will I continue to take medication my whole life? We have four minutes left. We're wrapping this up. Here's the question. I think it's a very powerful one. I'm leaving some of the, the powerful biological ones for the end here. Once you have, st you have, once you have started to, to, to take an antidepressant, do you need to take it for the rest of your life? I do have a predisposition to depression. I have seemed to have a, spent a lifetime of very difficult circumstances and trials with, would these, and the question is, would these deplete my serotonin? Are there then any people like me who have ever reached a point that they can stop taking the medication or will stopping make the depression worse? This is, this is asking really about someone who may have experienced depression most, if not all of their life. It could include, like you were saying, Ryan, circumstances, some of which can be catastrophic in nature. And so they've never experienced a level perhaps of non-depression, mm -hmm. and they're on medication. I'm, I'm broadening this just a little bit. Can you talk about will that person ever be off their medication? Now, again, when we talk about a psychiatrist that's a medical doctor who he or she has taken uh, a nine-month to a year internship in the middle of their or at the end of their program that that uh, that aligns them with uh, psychodynamic treatment. So, you, psychotherapists do not treat with medication. Psychiatrists do. They're medical doctors. So, with that, how do you respond to this question? Because I think that's a question that so many people ask. It's a very good one. A lot of people, and that I'm just talking from my own experience, people get depressed. And the thing that hits their mind most quickly is, I need to go see a psychiatrist. And what is a psychiatrist? Do? And they're going to medicate. But very seldom do they say, you need to get into therapy and see you know, if there's really some underpinning you know, causes for this. And so, you know, the answer for, you know, to, for, for me is, is that getting into therapy, working out and looking at, you know, have you really, you know, if, if you've done that and there really isn't anything there, then it may be biological. And, you know, I don't know the answer to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think one of the reasons that there was a shift with the psychiatrist um, doing more medication uh, which is what they are trained to do, is one of the reasons is when we, in the 1950s is when the psychotropic medication entered the world. And we have stats, and I show it in my Psych 103, and I will in about two class sessions, where you see the hospitalization absolutely dip. So when people, people before who were hospitalized for many weeks upon months, now all of a sudden the medication was able to, to even things out where they could function at a more normal pace. And so what we see is the psychotropic onset, uh, the inception of it in the, around the 50s, 
that it really changed the way we view medicating and caring for depression. So there was a strong leaning into the medical field to provide medication. And what we're looking at is some of the results today will tell us that with depression, uh, that if you have a combination where you have a psychotherapist working with a psychiatrist, that you have, there's a high level of a positive result with that because there is a working together and both work together very well. Mm-hmm. Um, so that answers that just a little further, but, mm-hmm. right? I just want to clarify, though, that if you are a person who has a, a clinical depression, it's really, really important to be living a very healthy lifestyle. In other words, having a very balanced diet, getting adequate sleep, getting plenty of exercise, because that, that way at least you can eliminate those kinds of organic problems mm-hmm. to contributing to the depression. If you're eating poorly, you're drinking like a fish, and you're not getting out and exercising, um, that, that's just going to contribute to it. That's going to aggravate it, and all you're going to do is just take more meds, and that's, that's, not gonna, that's really not going to help you. So uh, it's really important to lead a really healthy lifestyle. Bear in mind that endorphins, which are produced when you exercise, is the best antidepressant, God-given, built into the human body. You can get out and exercise, you, will have, uh, you have a built-in uh, antidepressant right in your body. So uh, exercise is, is really, really important. Um, so keep in mind, live a healthy lifestyle and then also work with the therapist. Just like Gary said, work with a the therapist to see if there are other issues in your life, you know, cognitive, that may be creating, that, that may be aggravating that depression further. Okay. Thank you. Um, as we're working together here, this, this statement is the one I really wanted to begin with and we're ready to close here. It, this question is, it seems, or it's more of a statement, it seems that some Christians don't believe depression and being right with God is possible. And I think we have to, to be careful that if someone is uh, depressed, we don't immediately go to the judgment that there must be something wrong in their life. Uh, many, many people uh, experience depression. Um, all of us will probably experience some level of depression in our lifetime. We were talking more of more severe types of depression. But I want to thank you. And would you, for just a moment, uh, thank our panel members for joining us this evening. If I can just say this, um, I, I try to, some way to entice these therapists to be with us. They are not paid for their work here. Uh, they're typically paid about 140 an hour. That's the going rate in San Diego today. And they're here helping us tonight. This is a great way, if you're looking for a therapist, uh, that this would be a great way to meet them in the back here in just a moment. And if I can just mention, next, the next my therapist says is getting help for addictive behaviors. And Yolanda Gorick will be our presenter for that. I'm looking forward to that. That's on Wednesday, October 6th. And then the next slide talks about what else is coming up. Family Life is providing a week to remember. Remember, uh, I have uh, two classes that I teach here, one of which many of the participants of that class will be joining this event. Family Life today is one of the great organizations uh, out of Campus Crusade for Christ. In the 70s, they begin this as the the most... actually attended seminars across the United States for couples. That's being provided. And just the last slide is mentioning, starting in January, we're going to have another 
uh, to become one class. This is a year-long intensive, and we will only be taking 35 couples. This week, we already had three that called Sandy Lens, my, even though we, it was actually, it was the week before. It was before we began to advertise it. So we thought, well, we should start advertising that, and that'll be a year-long intensive. We'll be finishing up one group uh, coming December. But thank you so much for being. We're going to have a word of prayer, and then you are dismissed. Thank you again uh, for coming this evening. We pray and hope that these words were words that uh, can be useful to you um, as you journey, and you certainly, all of us, perhaps, again, within uh, our worlds, uh, connect with those who are facing depression. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for these people. And again, thank you, Father, that you created us in your image. We are absolutely, hands down, important to you. You love us so deeply, we cannot even begin to enjoy it at the level to which you love us. Thank you. And the more that we can be in health and live a joy-filled life through Christ, we can just enjoy and digest that wonderful, gracious love that all of us desire and need, and that is to be healthily connected to the maker of this universe. And when we're able to do that, we are able to fulfill the great command, and that is to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Thank you, Father. We bless you this night, and I pray your blessing. It is your blessing upon each and every person and those who may be listening in to our audio tapes. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed. Thank you again for coming.